I have to tell you, I like that we have added back again the glory of Patri. It's a reminder of the holiness of this place. It's a reminder of the holiness of God. It's a reminder that He is our God and we are His people. It's a reminder that we serve a mighty God who is creator, redeemer, and sustainer. The gospel lesson this morning comes to us from Mark. It's the seventh chapter. It is in your bulletin, but I won't be reading the entirety of it. I want to focus on just verses 24 through 30 this morning. Hear what Mark writes. From there, he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her for saying that you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. So we have this interesting exchange between Jesus and this woman. Mark calls her a Syrophoenician woman, which simply designates her as, as a Greek woman from the Roman-ruled province of Syria. And it appears on the surface as Jesus has this dialogue with her that Jesus is rebuking her. And when I read the passage, I, I have to ask the questions, why would Jesus speak so unkindly to this woman? Why would he compare her to a dog, which if you're familiar with the culture of the time, that is the gravest of insults. And it's odd because she seems to be a woman of faith. She's simply seeking healing. She's heard that the master is there. She has faith in his ability to do something about her daughter's circumstance. And so she's there just seeking healing, not even for herself, but for her child. And she seems to be aware that Jesus is the one with the power to heal. Not only that, but she seems to be aware that she doesn't need all of Jesus's power or attention to her particular problem. All she needs is the scraps of his power, just the leftovers of his attention to her problem would be sufficient to heal her daughter. She would be satisfied 
if he could just see fit to give her the crumbs from the table where the Lord provides. So if we understand the culture of the day, we see that she falls into two categories that uh, in her time would, would make her seem less than. One, she's not Jewish. And two, she's a woman. It's hard for us to understand it in this day and time. But from the typically Jewish perspective of the day, her societal status would have been closer to that of a dog than that of a Jewish man. Now, Jesus is not ignorant of this. He knows that this is the prevailing culture. And so, since he's aware of the worldview, he's chosen at this particular moment to make fun of it. Maybe even a little bit at this woman's expense. Now the thing about Jesus is Jesus is all about the least and the lost. And so I can picture him here not being rude and arrogant because he has this elevated social status as a Jewish man, but rather I can picture him saying to this woman with a lighthearted, mischievous kind of grin on his face, let the children be fed first because it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And this woman upon hearing that would smile back at him and say, sir, even the dogs eat the crumbs that the children drop under the table. It's something that some people get and some people don't. It's sarcasm. It's playfulness. It's knowing that there is a societal norm and choosing to ridicule it. Really, sarcasm here is rising above. It's making fun of a wrong. It's acknowledging that that's not the way God's kingdom works. That's the way the world works. And we're going to go around the worldview perspective. And so Jesus invites this woman to take not just the crumbs from under the table, but to take a full portion of grace. Not only is she given what she asked for, her daughter's demon is exercised and, and she is restored. Many there at the table might have thought that the woman was not worthy to approach the Lord's table, even just for the scraps, 
of his attention, even just for the scraps of his grace. But the Lord is all about feeding the needs of the least and the lost. So he feeds her need not just a little bit. He feeds her need completely. And so we have to ask ourselves when we read this, do we in any way emulate what Jesus does in the situation where he's confronted with the least and the lost? Do we choose to treat them the way the world does or do we choose to treat them how Jesus does? Do we, in, do we invite those who we consider where the world considers less than, do we invite them to have a full portion of our attention, a full measure of grace, a full measure of mercy? Who do we invite to sit with us at our table? Who do we deem worthy to receive blessing? Who is it that we are comfortable breaking bread with? Is it the least and the lost? Or is it only those that we judge worthy to sit with us? Who in our prevailing culture do we hold to be no better than dogs? And so we segregate ourselves from them. If if we were to hold a supper at our house... And we were to invite all of our friends and our acquaintances, those who profess to be Christ followers, some of them may be from different denominations, some might be seeking and have not found a relationship with Jesus. Yes, some who are in need of that relationship. Wouldn't it be expected that we could all sit around the same table as friends and share the same bread and the same wine? And if Jesus decided to show up at our little dinner party, our potluck, if Jesus decided to show up and one of us was sitting at the head of the table and we relinquished our role as host to him because, well, that's probably the best course of action, would he then insist upon sitting at the head of our table that we divide ourselves into our respective denominations, into our socioeconomic categories, or sit at separate tables according to our race, according to our ethnicity, or what have you. And then if he did that, at which table would he choose to sit? Would he sit at the Methodist table? Would he sit at the Catholic table? The Lutheran table, the Jewish table, the white table, the black table, the Hispanic table, the straight table, the gay table. Where would Jesus choose to sit? See, in Galatians 2, Paul rebukes Peter for refusing to break bread with the Gentiles who were Christ followers because, well, they're not Jewish. So Paul points out that the redemptive power of the resurrection fulfills and supersedes the law and that by grace and the new covenant, we are now the church, the body of Christ, and we're no longer Jew or Gentile or Protestant or Catholic or white or black 
or whatever. There's one Lord and one table, right? So back to our potluck, if Jesus showed up, he would want all of his beloved children to sit at the table with him, to be in fellowship and communion with him, to break bread with him and drink wine with him. No believer would be excluded ever. And those who have a desire to know him would also be welcome to the table, not just for the crumbs that are left over, but for a full portion. That's the way Jesus would host our potluck, our supper, if he showed up. And just so there's no mistake, when we hold the Lord's Supper, Jesus does, in fact, show up. It's the Lord's table. It's the Lord's Supper. Holy communion is about relationship. It, we're not just going through the motions here when we do this. It is an invitation to have communion with our Lord and yes, with each other. With our Lord and with one another as the church and with those outside the church who have a hunger to know Jesus Christ. It's not a closed membership country club. It's an open invitation to anyone seeking Christ. We celebrate communion to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. To be in fellowship with him. To join together with each other in love. It's not about joining together with the vaccinated. It's not about joining together with the unvaccinated. It's not about joining together with the Republicans or the Democrats. It's about joining together as the people of God, hoping that our relationship with Jesus Christ would change our hearts. So that we could all worship the one God. So that we could all be in His favor. So that we would make right decisions about our role in the kingdom of God. about relationship. Communion. Communion is a family grieving together at a hospital bedside of a loved one who has passed. Believe it or not, communion is about that same family only able to be with that loved one through FaceTime on a computer. Communion is thousands of people stopping for a brief moment across the nation to acknowledge fallen service people, fallen police officers, fallen firefighters. Communion is a congregation of believers 
coming together in prayer and serving each and every family who drives through our parking lot for a food voucher once a month. Communion is a handful of people praying for passers-by at the local grocery store. Communion is a small church in a small town praying over their children, the community's children, anointing them as they go back to school. Communion is laughter and conversation around the family dinner table. Communion is a husband and a wife praying together and raising a family up in the Lord. It's also a single mom doing the same thing. Communion is a dad helping his son with a school project. It's a mother-daughter shopping trip to furnish a college dorm room. It's a family sitting together for movie night or worshiping together in church. Communion is a father who goes to his prayer closet every night on his knees to pray for the deliverance of his family from the snares of the evil one, from the pestilence that walks in the night, from all the things that press in on his family day to day, but for the grace and mercy of God. Communion is the wife and mom who drives her kids to school, all of them singing along to the Christian radio station, praising God the whole way. Communion is the bus driver that picks up kids along the route and prays for them as they enter and exit the bus. Communion is relationship that puts Jesus at the center and honors and glorifies God above all else. Why is communion important? Because communion, that relationship with Jesus Christ, restores, redeems, revitalizes, resurrects, rejuvenates, re-energizes, and in the case of this Syrophoenician woman, exercises demons. When I hear that, I think, what are the demons in our experience today that need to be exercised? Do we as individuals, as a congregation, as a tribe, as a people, as a nation, do we have any demons that need exercising this morning? Well, I think it's obvious that we do. All kinds of demons out there. The demons are legion, as they say. The demon of pestilence. The demon of racism, of classism, of materialism, of idolatry, of self-interest, of perverse humanism. The demon of addiction. The demon of... Pick your demon. And thanks be to God for the gift of Holy Communion with Jesus Christ, which exercises demons. 
See, communion is an ordinance of grace. It's a means of grace given to us through the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus on the cross. His body given for us. His blood shed for us. His love poured out on us so that we might live abundant and eternal life in communion with Him. And so, this morning, as you approach the Lord's table, as you take holy communion, do so in full awareness of the presence of the Lord. Because He is indeed present here. He is the one who invited you to come. To come break bread with Him because in the breaking of the bread, Our Savior is revealed to us. Thanks be to God for that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand for our final song this morning. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.